Those of you who have been following us in our series as we do, why do we do this? Asking the big questions of the faith. Why do we do the certain things we do here at this church? Why do we incorporate these parts of our service into our worship service? And today we're going to cover one that will be really hard to condense into just one sermon. Um, as we cover the affirmation of faith. Now, the history and the content of the Apostles' Creed alone deserves to be a Bible class, not just uh, one sermon. So we're going to be moving very quickly this morning uh, to be sensitive to all the other things we're going to be doing today. So to ask the question, why on earth would the church use these creeds in their worship services over the many years throughout the church history? Uh, Well, to state the obvious, for one, there was no internet in the first century. You know, Peter and Paul didn't have a website that they could just put this online, the things that we believe, and put it in the About Us section. So it just wouldn't work. But here's what you did have in the first century, in the early church, that after the time of the apostles, people started to depart from certain aspects of the faith. People came in saying all kinds of things, uh, void of scriptural support, saying, oh, Jesus wasn't really God. Oh, the body doesn't really resurrect. Jesus didn't really resurrect from the dead. Uh, all kinds of other things like that, so on and so forth. So in response to this, the Christians early on realized, okay, we need to respond to these things, to respond to these false teachers And to do so, they needed to put together a statement clarifying that those guys were wrong, but do it in a way, again, pre-internet, that could be distributed throughout the world in an easy-to-memorize way that would proliferate throughout the church. Hence where we got these creeds. And so, um, specifically, the Apostles' Creed seems to be a response specifically to those things summarizing core doctrines of the Christian faith uh, in a, with a way that, is, that has a flow to it. It's easy to memorize. It's easy to recite. I mean, for instance, you guys are my sample group for this. I've noticed most of the time when we do our affirmation of faith, when it comes time to do the Apostles' Creed, I mean, we have it in the back of our red hymnals, but most of you guys don't turn there. Most of you guys haven't memorized That was the point. The point was to be able to easily memorize it, to get used to the flow of it, so that we would internalize the truths that we are proclaiming. So, um, and frankly, the only reason I don't do it more often is because usually when we're over to the Apostles' Creed, I'm in that post-sermon, comes after delivering a sermon. So uh, that's the only reason I still read from it, just to be sure. (laughs) But you could imagine how helpful that must have been in the first century. Before all these modern ways of proliferating information. And since these creeds could spread and be memorized by many people quickly, the doctrines contained within them spread throughout the world and were memorized and internalized throughout the whole church. So when a heretic came into town saying, oh, Jesus, you know, uh, didn't actually resurrect Well, we have a creed that says on the third day he rose again from the dead. And so you would know, if you know nothing else about the scripture, hold on. I know that I say every week he rose again from the dead. 
and thus safeguarding the church from errors like this. So now do we still need to recite them today in our services in this post-internet world that we live in? Well, I don't think that we have to, but I certainly think it has a place because it still serves those purposes. It still serves as a concise summary of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, a a summary of biblical teachings, and speaking them out loud the way that we do each week is a great way to memorize things. I mean, there have been all kinds of studies that say if you say something, you'll remember it to a certain degree. If you say things and you write it, or if you read it, you remember it even better. Um, I certainly know that as uh, my very last seminary class that I took, I had to outline my seminary professor's 12-point argument for the existence of God and defend each point along the way. It became a long exam. And I'm not great with memorizing things in order like that. My thoughts are kind of disorganized, so that was tough for me. I, I, I printed out all of my notes that I'd already taken, and I just remember sitting in my apartment just reading them out loud over and over and over again until I was able to recite it from memory. And it worked. I Not, not to boast, but I got an A on that paper. So there's something to this is what I'm trying to say. And now if we take that, that truth that I just al- alluded to and apply that to these creeds, that's what we're doing during our worship service. And it still has its place. I mean, I remember even when I was younger, I remember learning in science class and being taught that, you know, that the universe as we know it came as a result of a cosmic accident that we're all here by accident, there was a big bang that was caused by no reason, caused by no one, and then it miraculously came together as opposed to drifting apart and formed planets and whatnot. But wait a minute, don't we recite every week God is the maker of heaven and earth? How can God be the maker of heaven and earth and us all be a cosmic accident? They both can't be true. And that led me to question some things that led me on a large part of my spiritual journey to discover, no, God is the maker of heaven and earth. So creeds can serve to this day as a guide and to keep us from error, even from our younger days. Especially as most creeds were written as a response to heresy. Um, Like the Nicene Creed was famously written as a response to heretics saying that Jesus wasn't actually God. And that's why they convened the Council of Nicaea and wrote the Nicene Creed as a way to respond to that. But was there any question within the early church whether or not Jesus was God? Absolutely not. It was clear in their teachings. It's clear in the New Testament. There was no question who Jesus was. The church just came together and the question wasn't, is Jesus really God? The question was, okay, how are we going to respond to these guys? And how can we respond in a way that we can make a statement that can be memorized, easily recited, and taken back to our churches? Hence the Nicene Creed. So again, they weren't arguing over the principle, they were discussing the way to word it. So to this day, when a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door and says, oh, Jesus wasn't actually God, just know that that issue has been settled for some 1,600 years. Get with the times, guys. Guys. 
There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. So the church needs to be ready to respond to these kinds of things. C.S. Lewis himself said that good philosophy must exist if for no other purpose than to respond to bad philosophy. So that's what this is here for. And to this day, we have things coming up. Like um, a few years ago, the church came together and put out the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy. Again, not because there was any question whether the Bible has errors in it or contradictions in it or not. We know that it doesn't. We've known for years that it doesn't. People every once in a while read a verse out of context and think that there is. So again, the leaders of the church came together just a couple of years ago and put out a statement. Not because there was any question about it, but to just draw a line in the sand and say, no, this is this issue is settled and we're going to put it in writing with the weight of leading scholars in all of their respective fields. So that had some, the point was to have weight to it. So if nothing else, hear my heart when I say that creeds like this help with our discernment, our ability to judge truth from error, right from wrong. And the church desperately needs more of that these days. Because the church has been lacking in discernment. We've let all kinds of nonsense into the church. Not this church locally, but as a whole. I mean, it's, it's gotten so bad that a new Bible translation came out just last year in English. And it was translated by one guy who lied about his experience to do so, who lied about being credentialed to be able to do it, uh, added tons of words into the Bible that aren't in any of our ancient manuscripts, and said, it's all good because an angel helped me do it. Guys, if I can't, if, that, if it's not clear to you guys that that guy was full of something, I can't help you. That's not one red flag. That's a parade of red flags marching down Broadway. Guys, the church needs to abandon logic like that. Oh, an angel helped me do it. Who's, who's to say God didn't help me do this? Who's to say God can't, couldn't have done such a thing? What can't you justify with that kind of logic? It's a terrifying thought. But I, I say this because people are spending real money on this fake translation, saying all kinds of things like that. The church needs to exercise discernment to come back to the truth. And, sorry, I got off on a tangent there. That, I, I just get passionate about that one. But you see my point. If anything helps the church to exercise a little bit more critical thinking, be safeguarded in the truth, I am all for it. And I want to support that. And I think that affirmations of faith like this help with that process. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but there's no way I can fully explain the content of these creeds, or especially just even the Apostles' Creed in just one session. Um, if it's the Lord's will, we'll, um, we'll revisit that concept someday. But what I do have time for is to lightly discuss some of the more controversial lines in the Apostles' Creed. Because, interestingly enough, the one line in this creed that I can't say with conviction is that Jesus descended into hell. Because it doesn't say Jesus descended into hell anywhere in the scriptures. 
It does say he descended into the lower parts of the earth, but that, but the context indicates the grave, not necessarily anything beyond that, which he was in for for three days. The apostles had a word for hell. They could have used that in the New Testament. They didn't. That tells us something. And moreover, what did Jesus tell the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in hell? No. <laughs> Jesus didn't say that. Today you will be with me in paradise. Big difference. Very big difference. And so that's one line that I can't quite say with conviction. And to me, that's completely fine with me because the Apostles' Creed is not in the same line as Scripture. That's why Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that it's on the authority of Scripture alone is our authority. Not, not the creeds, not the church councils, not church government, not, the, not anybody, heads of denominations or whatever, because they all contradict each other. It has to come down to one final authority, and it was settled in God's word. And so, lastly, I'm not bothered by that line because it appears from textual evidence that that line was added in later centuries. Earlier manuscripts of the Apostles' Creed don't even include that line. So it's not like they made a mistake or anything. Many people believe today that it was added much later on. So, no, I don't believe Jesus descended into hell personally. That's one line I will not repeat personally. Now, the line that bothered me most as a teenager, though, was that line that probably bothers many of you guys, that I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Oh, John, I'm not Catholic. I can't say that. Oh, I had problems with the Catholic Church growing up, or, or what have you. And first of all, Good for you. I'm glad that you have trouble with it if you don't understand it. I'm glad you don't mindlessly repeat something that you don't believe in. If, if you can't say something with conviction, you don't get brownie points just for saying it. So good for you. I want to put that right up there in front. But there's a reason why those words are in this creed, and it's important. It comes down to church history and word definitions. Because we got to remember when this creed was written. It was written very early. And for about a thousand years, there was no other church. It, it wasn't until 1054 that the Roman Catholics split off from the Orthodox, and another 500 years after that, that the Protestants split from the Catholics. So for many, many years... There wasn't this splintering of churches and thousands upon thousands of denominations. There was just one church, one universal church. And now we got, what, six, seven churches in this one small town? Interesting, right? So, but more importantly than that, the word Catholic is a very interesting word. There is no other word quite like it in the English language. Some say it means universal, as in the one holy universal church. And that comes close to its actual meaning. But it, go, it misses some nuances. It doesn't quite go far enough. Because the word Catholic means across all time and across all space. Not just universal when we think the universe and all kinds of, and complete distance but across all time as well. 
So when we say we believe in one holy Catholic church, we're saying both that there is just one church that has ever existed throughout all eternity, the church led by the Lord Jesus Christ, his church. That includes this church here in South Amboy and churches over in Uganda, in Botswana, in Haiti, in India, in China, all over the world. But also across all time, going back 2,000 years ago to the church in Jerusalem, there's one church. That's what we proclaim when we say, I believe in one holy Catholic church. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about one church with the Lord Jesus as the head across all time and across all space. And there's no, quite no other word that captures all the nuances of that. I mean, I understand the, the temptation to change the wording in that. Uh, because of its modern context. It's, it's unfortunate that our modern understanding of the word Catholic carries a different connotation than it did thousands of years ago when this, when this creed was written. And frankly, it's sad that if you believe Roman Catholic teachings, what the Catholic Church proclaims to believe to the letter, you probably aren't part of the one holy Catholic Church. Oh, the irony. Because they've departed in many ways from the essential teachings of faith alone and grace alone and Christ alone. But we'll have to revisit that. So in short, because there's no better word in English and the text that we recite every Sunday says what I believe, I have no problem reciting it from the, uh, along with you guys. But again, if that word carries a lot of baggage to you personally, it's best to refrain. Again, just because there, there's no brownie points in saying something that's going to trouble your conscience. But to me, there's, there's no issues there. Now, the only other line that really confused me back in the day was how, Je- how Jesus was going to judge the quick and the dead. What does that mean? Well, words change over time. That, that used to be a saying that referred to the living and the dead. That Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. That's what that means. It's the word changed its meaning over time in the English language. That's all that that means. So not too much in terms of content there. And again, I could go on forever about the ideas in these creeds, and I'm purposely rushing through it right now. Um, because Because going through this exhaustively was never my goal. Uh, my goal today was just to explain why it fits into our worship service, to clear up some confusion and perhaps appreciate it a little bit better. I hope you found some of this helpful because it's hard to squeeze through this much theological depth in one quick little sermon, uh, but there's a lot here. So in short, affirming our faith solidifies what we believe. It helps give us discernment. And it inoculates us from a lot of those false teachings that are, frankly, still going around. Sounds good to me. Thanks be to God. Amen. So now, let's literally practice what we preach. (laughs) Let us stand together to affirm the Apostles' Creed. (laughs) Let's see who can do it without the hymnal. (laughs) I believe in God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. <clears throat> the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated.